At this time, the children are dismissed for preschool play and worship and children's church. And as they are heading out, I'll invite you to find in your Bible, Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1. So last week, I began this two-part sermon. It was originally going to be one sermon, but I had so many announcements last week that we weren't going to have time. Uh, So I tried to split it in half. And my sermon had these five points. It was all about uh, how to be a Pharisee. You'll notice there's no title of this one, and I'll explain why in just a second. It was how to be a Pharisee. That was like part one. This was going to be part two. And I gave you two of the five points last week. I was going to give you three of the, the remaining three points this week. And I was, I had already planned it all out. So I thought this would be an easy week because, you know, I'd already planned what I was going to preach last week, but I just could not get comfortable with it. And I wasn't even comfortable with it when I preached last week either. Um, And it's hard to explain those among us who have preached before probably understand very well, but it's hard to explain what I mean by get comfortable with it. Um, There's a difference between when I get up here and I have some points that I've thought of and I'm going to try to explain it. And when I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, giving me something to say, uh, something more real. Um, so even last night, I, I went back over again. Um, I've done that a couple times this week and had it all kind of polished up and still not comfortable with it, but went on to bed and woke up this morning and over my coffee, I feel like the Holy Spirit did speak to me and he said something to me that he says, or that many of you may have heard um, maybe in the business world and other places Have you ever heard the acronym KISS, K-I-S-S? Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, Some of you may have heard it, some of you may have not. Uh, I feel like that's kind of what the Holy Spirit said to me this morning. Just keep it simple, stupid, (laughs) in a loving way. Um, So I am going to give you those three points because I started it. But really, that's not going to be much of the sermon. I'm just going to do it real quick and then uh, give you something much more simple and I think much more helpful. But... Um, I'll tell you what happens to me in case you, like you asked, um, we're, we're in Mark, which is what you would call a narrative. It's like a story. It reads, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened. And he said this, and they responded in this way. And I've just always struggled preaching through narratives. I like, as you might guess, the letters like Romans. I like, uh, I like logical truths that are tied up in knots that I get to just sort of untangle. I love that. Uh, I have a hard time with narratives because I just sort of feel like, well, that's what happened. There you go. (laughs) It's It's hard because the temptation is to try to draw all these deep truths out. And sometimes you can read things into the text that aren't even there because you're just trying to make it feel profound. When in reality, it's profound just because it's letting us get to know Jesus better. Um, So, I'm going to we'll read it together. It's going to be verses one through six. And I'll tell you the, those remaining three points and they are valid, but I don't know that they're really all that helpful for us right now. And then we're just going to look at Jesus a little bit together and go home. Does that sound good? Good. So we'll read together and, and I'll stay seated because I might explain some as I go or I might not. Again, I changed everything up this morning. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, We're going to read Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Again, he, referring to Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. 
We don't really know what that means, but it means like shriveled. It's, something's wrong with his hand. And they, referring to the Pharisees, who we talked a lot about last week, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. So if you are here last week, you remember it was all about the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples had walked through a wheat field, and his disciples had plucked some, some heads of grain off, and, and they were just eating it. And the Pharisees got really upset because that was against their legal code, and it qualified as work on the Sabbath. So they were all bent out of shape about what the disciples had done. And so now he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they're just watching to see what he's going to do with this man with the withered hand. So they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. You know who the Pharisees are. The Herodians are sort of a political kind of group that had more political motivations for wanting to be rid of Jesus. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Okay, so let's pray now and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. Father, thank you for your word. I'm so grateful that you gave us these records of Jesus when he walked on the earth and the things he did and the things he taught. Help us to just sit at his feet now and observe him and see him for who he is and love him more and follow him more closely because of it. Help me to serve your people well. And please, please speak to us through the Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name. Amen. So you want to know the whole five points? Matt's five points of awesomeness, which I'm pretty much getting rid of. Uh, Last week, it was called How to Be a Pharisee, which is tongue-in-cheek because we do not want to be like the Pharisees. So the first two points were to miss the point and to miss the word. And we got that from that previous passage where they walked through the field. They missed the whole point of the Sabbath. They thought it was about keeping rules, but it was always about rest in the Lord. And they misunderstood the word. As Jesus opened up to them, they had totally misunderstood a a passage that they knew that would have helped them understand this better. So that was the two points from last week. Real briefly, the three points I was going to expound on this week, um, three more ways to be a Pharisee, miss people, miss yourself, and miss Jesus. We're just going to focus on the Jesus part, but here we see in this, this passage, they missed the people around them. They didn't care about this man with the withered hand at all. And can you imagine they were in the synagogue, the man with the shriveled up hand is there. I guess it was just sort of hanging there. And they don't care about that at all. They just want to catch Jesus. And Jesus tells the man to come up. And then he's maybe has his arm around the man and he turns to the Pharisees and says, would it be right for me to heal him or to just let him be like this? And they don't say anything. And meanwhile, the withered hand guy is just standing there wondering what's going to happen. They didn't care. And Pharisees, you know, overly religious people can just stop even noticing the people around them and stop loving people. Fourth one, they miss themselves. Pharisees are renowned for being hypocritical. They were um, 
waiting and watching to accuse Jesus of working on the Sabbath. But look at all the work they were doing on the Sabbath. They were following Jesus through a field like investigative reporters or private eyes. They, at the end, they were taking counsel together, holding secret meetings. I mean, they were kind of working hard too, just in a different way. But they didn't see that. See, Pharisees and overly religious people, they see the specks in everybody else's eyes, not the planks sticking out of their own eye sockets. And then finally, uh, they missed Jesus. There they were in a field with Jesus, side by side with disciples of Jesus, but they were not followers of Jesus. Here they were in a synagogue listening to Jesus, side by side with disciples of Jesus, but they were not following Jesus. And the big idea, and it is what I'm going to talk about today, proximity to Jesus does not equal relationship with Jesus. Proximity to Jesus does not equal relationship with Jesus. There's going to be many who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? Wasn't I in that field with you? Wasn't I in that synagogue with you? And he's going to say, I don't know you. You know, some of you men are, are sitting here close to women who are not your spouse. Like maybe on one side your spouse and the other side somebody else. You're only married to one of them. The proximity isn't what makes the difference. It's the covenant that you've made. It's not the proximity. It's the, the commitment, the life lived with your spouse. It's the same with Christianity. It's not being in church. It's not um, being around Bible stuff. It's not just saying I'm a Christian. It's the covenant you make with him. It's the ongoing relationship that you have with him. So with that in mind, I just want to, I gave you the five points so I can finish what I started. And now we'll just sort of set that aside for a minute. Maybe they were helpful, maybe not. But now let's just look at Jesus for a bit. And the big idea of my sermon this morning is groundbreaking. It's this, Jesus is good. Jesus is really good. Jesus is deeply good. See, I I really felt torn up after last week's sermon because I felt like all I did was give you sort of condemnation and you shouldn't be like this and you probably are, so you're terrible. But Christianity is a, a good thing. Yes, we are a mess, but Jesus is really, really deeply good. It's, it's positive. He's, he's really good in a bad world that's full of bad things, of hunger, of withered hands. Uh, you know, this, this guy with the withered hand, it meant that he was disabled, which meant that he was unable, most likely to work in any way, which probably meant that he was poor. If he had a family, it probably meant that they were poor, which probably meant that they were kind of despised in society. Okay, that stuff happens. These things happen. We get disabled. We get physically sick. We get hungry like the disciples walking through the field. Um, There's economic trouble. We lose our jobs. It's hard. There's a lot of bad things in the world. And there's outright evil like the Pharisees who are plotting to kill Jesus. There are a lot of people just set directly against Christ. And you watch the news and you read the newspaper and you see what's going on in the world and it can be horrifying. It's really bad. But praise God, Jesus is really, really good. So let's look at them together. Very simply, I think the main thing we see about Jesus in really both passages, last week's and this week's, is that he cares 
Jesus, in contrast to these Pharisees, he really cares. He cared that his disciples were hungry as they walked through the field. That's just an everyday need. It's nothing extraordinary. Uh, We get hungry. I bet many of you are hungry right now. Probably at the moment I mentioned uh, cooking out at the beginning of the service, your stomach was like, what? Cooking out? And it started growling and it's still growling. He cares about that stuff. He cares when you just feel tired, just the normal struggle of a day, stressed out, tired. He cares that you're sleepy right now. Who's sleepy right now? Oh, more of you are sleepy than that. I, I rarely get to sit through a sermon anymore. It's very rare. Um, it's only really at funerals. And I thought the gentleman who preached this message yesterday did well, but it really doesn't matter how great the sermon is. It, it's a sleepy thing to sit in a wooden pew on a Sunday morning and listen to somebody talk. And I get that. I, I get that every time I go to a funeral. I've been to some, and there were great sermons. And I'm just trying not to yawn aggressively so as to cause a scene because it's hard. And now many of you are trying not to yawn aggressively because I mentioned that. You know, Jesus cares about that. I don't care. I'm just going to keep going. I'm kidding. You guys aren't even following me. <laughs> he, he cares about the, the regular struggles of humanity. He also cares about the more extraordinary struggles, like the man with the withered hand. He cared enough to heal him. You know, he cares when the extraordinary things happen um, in our lives. And he even cares, get this, this is how awesome Jesus is. He even cares about the Pharisees who were complete pains to him. Look at verse 5. After he, he has the man with the withered hand there, poor guy, and he's looking around at these religious people, and he's saying, basically the subtext, what he's saying is, are you really saying to me with those accusatory eyes that I shouldn't heal him because it's the Sabbath? That I should let him go home in misery, hopeless? And they don't say anything. And look at how he feels about that in verse five. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. I might've felt angry, but he he felt the anger, which was right. It's not sinful anger here, it's righteous anger. But he also felt grieved because he knew it wasn't just that they were taught poorly, it's that their hearts were hard. And he cared about them and it hurt him. That word grieve is the way we felt having lost Margaret. And he grieved when he looked at these people who were in a second going to go plot to kill him. He grieved for them. There's, There's no one like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. He cares and he restores. He restored the man's hand. I mean, just that alone is a sermon point. In itself, he was powerful enough to restore the man's shriveled up hand. And we have record of all his miracles. And the main reason is to prove that he is who he claims to be. He really is God's only begotten son. He really is the Messiah. He really is the one way, the one truth, the one life. He really is good. He really is the good shepherd. You know, the family requested that I read Psalm 23 
at the graveside yesterday for Margaret's funeral. Maybe the most famous passage in all of Scripture. And it's about the good shepherd. And it was referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus taught us that all the Bible is about him, even the Old Testament. So he really is as good as this psalm says he is. Listen to it again. I know you know it, but listen to it again. And I'm going to basically close with this. Ooh, man, early. What a gift for you. You guys wish that God would tell me every Sunday morning to keep it simple, stupid. Okay, listen to Psalm 23 and know that our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, really is this good. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't need anything. I'll have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He literally will force me to lie down and rest when I need rest. He knows better than I do when and how I need to rest. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The same way he restored that shriveled hand, he restores souls. That's the deepest most enduring, most real part of who you are. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Whatever valley you may be walking through right now, the Lord is good, he's with you. You don't need to fear any evil. Trust him. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's that's us. That's for us as Christians. We have that. We are like little sheep with a really, really good shepherd. So I think the reason the Holy Spirit re-diverted me this morning is that he simply wanted you my prayer is always, just give me what you want me to say to your people. Because sometimes it can feel really hard to figure out what, what that is. I think he just wanted to say to you, like he said to that man with the withered hand, he said, stretch out your hand. And he restored it. I think he wanted to say to each of you, stretch out your soul to me and I will restore it. And you might feel like, I don't know how. That's okay. Jesus knows what to do. Just extend yourself to him. That that man with the withered hand didn't know how it was going to work, how it was going to happen. But he obediently stretched it out. I think that's the invitation for us. So we're going to pray together now and just extend yourself out to him. And let him do the restoration. You don't have to understand how he's going to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for reminding us this morning that he is good. Even when we fail to be good, when we are evil like the Pharisees, he is good. Lord, help us, like sheep in Psalm 23, to follow him as our shepherd, to follow his lead. And help us to stretch out our souls to him to be restored. In Jesus' name, amen.